0: Amen. You may be seated. Turn to Romans chapter twelve. We have begun the second. Maybe large section in Romans in that the first 11 verses can be summarized by the mercies of God that Paul exhorts us by in verse 1. And now we're talking, we talked in all of those chapters about uh, the good news of the gospel. The fact that all people are, are lost and in sin and need a savior. That Christ is that savior. That salvation is a free gift through faith in him. That the soul God justifies he sanctifies, grows in grace, that we dwell in God's love and we cannot be separated from it. And that God's wisdom in working this salvation to the ends of the earth to save Jew and Gentile by his sovereign order. We've seen that in 9 through 11. And then now we are, we are asking the question and answering the question. So then how does the gospel change our lives? What, is it, what does it look like? To be a Christian, what should it, what does it look like to be a follower of Christ? And so Paul is beginning to lay that out here in chapter 12 and we'll read verses one through eight and we'll look at verses four through eight this morning. Verse one, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Four, connecting. By the grace given to me, I say to you, to everyone among you, Lord, I pray that you would send forth your word with the spirit attending to illumine and apply it. Open our hearts, open our minds to understand your word, to cherish and treasure your word, to live in its light, to live for Christ who has lived and died for us. So bless us with your word this morning. Bless and empower me to preach it. Bless and empower us to hear it, to understand it, and to be changed by it. Do your work, the work that only you can do, Lord. We look to you this morning. We give you the praise and trust you for it in Christ's name. Amen. I am the greatest. No, I am the greatest. Well, you're both wrong because I am the greatest. It sounds like a bunch of four-year-olds, doesn't it? But you know who it was? Christ's inner circle of disciples. Men who would become apostles are arguing with one another. After following Jesus for a time, they are arguing over who is the greatest. And to make it worse, it's right after he's instituted the Lord's Supper that clearly portrays service and unity and the good news of Christ and the Messiah. What do you think they were thinking about when they used that word greatness? Who is the greatest? Right? I know, like we said last week, I know what Muhammad Ali was talking about when he said, I am the greatest. He meant he's the best boxer ever lived. But what would it mean to be great in their eyes? And backing off from that, what what, what are we born into this world thinking greatness means? What what do we, uh, as a natural person, as an unsaved person, a person without the Holy Spirit, what do we pursue? Well, you only go around once, so grab all the gusto you can get, right? We're trying to get as high as we can get. They're probably focused on worldly concepts like status and honor, and power, authority. They're seeking to be on top of the heap. That's greatness in the world's eyes. Being on top. But how does Jesus define greatness in His kingdom? Matthew 20, 26 to 28. Whoever would be great among you must step over all the people he can and get all he can get. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. See, the gospel takes everything and turns it upside down, doesn't it? And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even now, why? What's the example? Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. The Son of Man. One of Jesus' favorites descriptions of himself from Daniel. Right? Being the Son of God. Being the Savior. The Messiah. The one we sang about who is the ruler of all nature. Who holds all things together. How big is your Jesus? He holds all things together by the word of His power. Everything I can see through a microscope. Everything I can see through a telescope and more. He, He created. He holds it together by the word of His power. That one is the one who came to serve. All the way to a cross came to serve. Gave his life to ransom us. He lived for our righteousness. He died to pay the penalty for our sin. And he was raised proving it all true. He is the servant pro excellence and he has called us to follow him. So, greatness is service. That woke some of you up, didn't it? I see your eyes drooping. Come on, wake up. This is the most important thing you'll do this week. Following Jesus and being great in his kingdom means that we strive to be uh or we focus on what being a service is, a servant is like. In other words, we're striving to be like him. Remember Philippians two? That was your homework last week. We strive to be like him. Greatness. Is being greater and greater and greater a servant like our master. That's greatness. You were were saved to serve. You were saved to serve. You were saved to be a servant. The great ones in the kingdom are the great servants. You're not saved to be a king. We have one. And it's not me and it's not you. It's Jesus. You were saved to serve. And so that gospel we've been reviewing in chapters 1 through 11 that shows us that Christ came to live for us and to die for us and to be raised for us. So we get salvation as a free gift. We get a new heart and a new life. We get forgiveness from all of our sins. We get clothed in his righteousness and accepted as children of God so that we can be like him. Our proper response to the gospel, we've seen it already in chapter 12, is to be a living sacrifice. It's to lay ourselves on the altar. Problem is, we keep crawling off, don't we? You've heard that before. But we are, and Okay, so then we ask our questions. What does a living sacrifice look like? In verse 2, it's one who is conformed to his truth, his word, shaped by his word. We, we've seen in verse 3. That it it, therefore is humility. We don't think too highly of ourselves, but we have sober judgment so that we're humble. And what is that humble heart? How does it reveal itself in service and care for and service to service to God by and through serving other people? So the main point today, strive to be a humble servant that embraces both the unity and the diversity of the body of Christ. You were saved to serve. And in our text, we see the unity and the diversity of the body of Christ. We see what brings unity to that diversity, just like the universe. Right? God brings unity to all that diversity out there. He is the answer to that old problem of the one in the many. I'm not going to talk about philosophy this morning. Well, what does He save us to do? And what does He bring us together to do? Well, the very shortest answer is His will. And what is His will is revealed in the Great Commission. And how do we accomplish that? By being servants. Servants of His. Servants of one another. So that the church can take this gospel to the ends of the earth. Look, Look, Paul gives us the illustration this morning. Look in verse 4. For as in one body, think physical body, as in one body, we have many members and the members do not have all have the same function. And Paul taught, you can go read in 1 Corinthians 12 and, and other places, but he talks about gifts there and he uses the body as an illustration. But we have hands, naturally speaking, normally speaking, arms, feet, legs, eyes, ears, mouth. And then we go inside heart and other things. But they all work in unity. Guided by the head. Right? The hand can't just run off to do its own thing. And the foot its own thing. and That's when things aren't working right. The body. We have many body parts, but they all Work together. They don't have the same function, but they work together. If I'm walking, my body is working together to walk, or running, or sleeping. My hand's not at a dance party. Well, usually, while I'm trying to sleep. I mean, you see what I'm saying? These uh, these body human body parts, when everything's functioning right, work together toward a common goal. Whatever that particular thing is we're studying, whatever that thing we're doing at that time. So Paul's using this illustration he's saying just like a physical body has many different parts but all those parts are together one body and work together look 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 what he says so we so he's given that illustration of a physical body and then he says so we though we are many are one body in Christ and individually Members of one another or one of another, as the ESV says. So here's the unity of the body of Christ. Look at it again. So we, though many are one body. Now, look at that little word, two words right there. You see it all over the place. Speaking of union with Christ in Christ. That really asks a question, doesn't it? What it, are you in Christ? What does it mean to be in Christ? How in the world do I get in Christ? How do I become part of the body of Christ? Well, you do your best, and God will do the rest. Your good works maybe someday will outweigh your bad, and or maybe you get in because of your parents or. Me- no. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means to be in union with him, joined to him, hidden in him. My old man has died and I'm now new and alive in him. I'm one with him and therefore one with his body. How does that happen? Well, even the small children know the answer to that, right? God loved the world in this way. You may have heard it For God so loved the world. But literally, it should be in this way. God loved the world. That He gave His only begotten Son to live for us, to die for us, to be raised for us. That whosoever believes in Him, trusts in Him, shall not perish but have everlasting life. We are united to Christ through faith. We become a part of His body in Him through faith in Him. Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone this morning? If so, no matter how you're feeling this morning, you're in the body. You're part of the body. You're one of His people. You're a member in His body. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Saved from what? Poverty? A bad back? Saved from wrath? Why wrath? Well, we saw it in, in the first part in chapter 118 through 320 when we were studying in Romans that we all deserve condemnation because we've broken his law in thought, word, indeed. None of us has kept him as our only God and honored his name and not uh, looked on another person with lust or stolen or all of those things. We've broken his law and the soul that sins shall die. The soul that sins shall be separated from God. The soul that sins deserves condemnation. Why? Because a holy God cannot have fellowship with sin. But must judge it. That's why Christ came. He fulfilled all righteousness. He died for our sin. He was raised from the grave. And therefore, we get that salvation as a free gift because it was so costly to him. So, are you trusting in Christ? Because really, when it all boils down, you're either trusting yourself or you're trusting Jesus. And if you're trusting in yourself, you're in heap big trouble. Because you're not perfect in thought, word, and deed. You're not righteous before a holy God. You might be better than Joe down the street or Susan down the street, but you're not better than Jesus. And to be accepted by God, you have to be like Christ, which is perfectly righteous. And we are not. But the good news is God didn't leave us there. He sent His Son to save us. So are you trusting in Jesus this morning? If you are then you've been forgiven. You've been accepted as righteous. You've been made a child of God. Therefore, you're in the body. You're in the one body if you're in Christ. See it? Though we, though many, are one body in Christ. Not in whatever we choose. There's a bunch of false saviors out there and there's a true one. And it's Christ, Jesus. And to be in Him... It's to be saved and to be part of this body. One body in Christ Jesus. Now, look, look how it, it moves on. This is a, this is a great little, little phrase here. Individually, recognizing our individuality, we are individuals, right? We're not part of the Borg. We're not assimilated. We not all have a hive mind. If you watch... Star Trek, you'll get that. If you don't, don't worry about it. (laughs) Look at what it says. We're individuals, but we're individually members of one another. If you're trusting in Christ, I am joined with you. we're members together in the body of Christ. We are his body, his people, not because we did anything good, but because he did and by His grace, we've received His salvation. See, we're all different individuals with different backgrounds and different skills and gifts. And we'll talk about a little bit about spiritual gifts. See, the point of this passage is not to teach an exhaustive class on spiritual gifts. I hope you can see that. They're important, but we'll get to that in a minute. We are individuals, but because we're in Christ now, we don't function individualistically. The most important thing is not anymore what I think, or how I feel, or what I desire. It's what God thinks, and what will be a blessing to His people as as I, as part of His body, seek to be a benefit to my brothers and sisters around me. This is hard for Americans. We want to call our own shots. We want to make our own decisions. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. You better get over that. Because there is a God and it's not you. Okay? We don't function individualistically. And here's the sad part. Some of us still do. Some of us still do. What, How I feel and what I desire and what I want is the most important thing in my life a lot of times. But well, when I'm thinking like that, I'm not thinking like Jesus. And I'm not thinking the way he calls me to think. If I'm thinking right, remember, we've seen this already in the humble servant. And go back and I'll let you listen to those servant, other sermons that previous about humility. But my mind is to be Christ's mind, which was one of self-sacrifice for others. My mind is to be what He calls me to. Listen, God first. Because God has saved me. I belong to Christ. He died for me that I might live for Him. And others before me. See, this is going to help you on that Sunday morning when you get up and think, I just don't feel like going today. Well, we didn't put that live stream out for you to be lazy and sit in your pajamas and make worship easier. That's for people who can't be here or those around the world who, by God's grace, will tune in. But if you're thinking with Christ's mindset, it's going to be a God first thing. Yeah, I don't feel like it. Really, I don't want to go. But I'm going to go in obedience to you and trust you to use it. And your presence is going to glorify your Father and it's going to encourage those around you. I mean, what if one Sunday we all didn't feel like coming, so we just didn't? That would be pretty horrible, wouldn't it? And pretty dishonoring to God and not serving one another. We need to get out of our own heads. Get in Christ's head. And realize that we are individually members of one another. We are a body. The body of Christ. And the head is directs the body when the body is healthy. We are to function according to the direction of our head, which is Jesus who gives us our directions in his in His word. So, if he commands it, that settles it, whether I believe it or not. You've heard the old thing that he said it, I believe it, that settles it. If he said it, that settles it, whether you believe it or not. And the other bumpers, he's not your co-pilot. He you just... We are to use our individual abilities in conjunction with other members in his church to accomplish his goals first. We belong to him now. We must have a servant mindset. Jesus first, then others, our brothers and sisters, and then our neighbor, right? We are to complement one another. And have a humble mindset that is quick to forgive. If we have something against one in the body, we already forgive them in our heart because Christ has forgiven us. They come and confess it. We extend that forgiveness to them. They do that 70 times 7. We extend that forgiveness to them. I've just had it with these people. What if God treated you like that? You get hacked off at somebody so you don't come. What if he just, every time you sin, what if he saw your sin and just withdrew from you? We are to forgive as we've been forgiven. We're to serve as we've been served. We are to love as we've been loved. We are, the gospel, if it's really at work in us, is going to make us a willing, living sacrifice that is humble and pours itself out for others. Because there's one God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who has given us one salvation in His Son and calls us together to be one body. I'm going to talk about gifts later, but I'm going to read this verse now from First from Corinthians 12. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Notice what brings unity, the Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So, the gifts that I've been given are not first and foremost for me. They're for you. For the common good. And the gifts you've been given, notice I didn't say, we'll talk about this in a minute, if you've been given any, are for the common good. So, We are one body in Christ. This point is embrace the unity of the one body in Christ. And one of the ways we embrace it is we strive to protect it. Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. I'll read it quickly. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Look how it flows like with our passage. With all humility. Calling to faith it brings humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. One body, under one Lord, with one major purpose, working together. We protect the unity. Of the church by cultivating a growing servant mindset like Christ. Embrace the unity of Christ's body by pressing into being a humble servant. Secondly, embrace the diversity of the body of Christ. Look at verses 6 to 8. Having gifts... That differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. And we'll talk about the list in a minute. Notice what that doesn't say. If you have a gift, let's use it. No, it says having gifts. We have gifts. We have been... See, see, we can't say, well, I see that I'm supposed to be a humble servant and I see that I'm supposed to serve you in your kingdom, but I'm just not ready. I, I, I don't have what I need. I, I... I need more. And he's like, no, you have gifts. You have gifts. There's different spiritual gifts. Look what it says. The body has gifts. And we're individually members of one another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. We have different gifts. Look at me. If you're trusting Jesus, you have at least one spiritual gift. At least one. Sometimes people have two, three. That's all up to God and His sovereignty and how He's going to use His children. But if you're a Christian, you have been gifted in at least one way to serve His body. And that's different. We're not all eyes. We're not all hands. We're not all mouths. We're not, you see what I'm saying? And the least seen gifts are not the least important gifts. This, me standing up here doing this today is not the most important thing. And my gift is no more important than your gift. You don't believe that. But that's true. We have different spiritual gifts. Salvation is not a cookie cutter. The Holy Spirit is sovereign over our gifts. But you have at least one gift. Notice that's what the text says. And we see it in Ephesians 4 and other places. That he he ascended on high and he gave gifts to men and women. To his body. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. God is sovereign over all of that. Now look, but having gifts, use them. Well, I woke Evangel an up with that, didn't I? He's like, whoo. And now what he says having gifts, let us use them. I don't know what my gift is. Well, you know how you find out you get this paper test and you sit down and you take this test and then you tell yourself what gift you have. You see how that self-evaluation Now, maybe if you talk to your spouse, you might get a little different answer. But if you have one, listen, those paper tests might be helpful in some way sometime, but they may not be helpful. I remember the first time I took a spiritual gifts test. It was wrong. I didn't know that then. But I look back on it now thinking seriously? You know how you determine what your gifts are? You obey Jesus and jump in and serve. A lot of us don't know what our gifts are because we just been we fell prey to the culture that thinks Christianity is just showing up on Sunday and hearing some guy talk too long and giving maybe a little money and going home and doing our own thing. That's what we think Christianity is. No, the Lord's Day is the high point of the week, but that high point of the week has a purpose to to recalibrate us and reset us to go out into this world and live for Jesus. But the one reason we don't know what our spiritual gifts are is we're not testing them. We're not trying them. We're not seeing what we're good at. You know how you know you're good at baseball? You try to play it. Or basketball. Or golf. I don't give up too quick on golf. It takes a while to find out whether you're good at that or not. But the way you identify your gifts is to jump in and serve, to see a need and be willing to fill it. And if you sit back and go, oh, I can't do that, that's not my gift, that's not how that was intended to work. Because we know we're commanded to meet one another's needs, to fill gaps and fill holes. But jump in and serve and see where God blesses your service. As you start serving in the church and as you're trying different things, something's going to begin to resonate with you. And you know what? It's not only going to resonate with you, it's going to resonate with those around you. And they're going to say, man, you really are a blessing at this. When you when you said this or when you did this, that really benefited me or encouraged me. See, we, we serve the body, and as a body, we get to see what gifts we have. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. If you don't know what that show was, don't worry about it. See where you're fruitful in serving. God will put a desire in your heart for the gifts he's given you. The spirit has gifted you to serve and he will bless your service and help you identify your gifts. Kids, think about your parents. They give you chores to do. Right. Okay. hopefully your parents give you chores to do. Hopefully, they make you do stuff. They don't let you just get, 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 get. This world is not going to treat you that way. You need to be working. You need to be doing things. But a wise parent, especially as kids get older, gives them chores that kind of match with with their gifting, right? You're not going to tell a three-year-old to go cut the grass. If you do, that's going to be a big mistake, okay? Okay. Parents assign some chores according to gifts and ability, but some chores are just general service to the household. And those might even be things kids don't like or don't want to do. Parents, please be raising your kids to work. So one of the things that's wrong right now is kids have been raised being given everything and thinking everything's supposed to be given to them. They don't want to work. And if they do work, they want to start at the top. That's not, first and foremost, their fault. But see, God has gifted you in ways to serve the church. And this is a representative example in this text. This is not an exhaustive list. And a lot of the other lists aren't exhaustive. The author has a purpose when he puts things down. But look look what he says here. See, this the purpose is not a class on each gift. It's the point that we all have one. And if these match yours, then do it this way. And if these don't match yours, you can do yours kind of this way, too, and receive instruction from it. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Now watch. If prophecy in proportion, this says in proportion to our faith. And it's a it's a complicated little phrase there. And uh, I don't think that's the best translation. But prophecy, what was a prophet? We're going to boil it way down. A prophet prophet wasn't somebody always running around with sparks flying from his hair and, you know, doing all these. A prophet spoke for God. Thus says the Lord. And sometimes that was foretelling things that would happen. And sometimes it was just calling the people to faithfulness to God's Word. It's teaching them the Word and calling them to faithfulness to it. That's why they would, a prophet was God's mouthpiece who would say, thus says the Lord. And this was necessary. See, this kind of revelatory gift was necessary. Some of y'all might jump off the bus right now. But it was necessary when we didn't have this. When the revelation of God was not complete, prophets, if you want to say filled the gap or whatever... They brought God's Word to God's people so that God's people could grow in His grace. And it was necessary at the time when we didn't have the full Word. Go read Jeremiah and read chapter 23 where God, through Jeremiah, is mocking the false prophets who prophesy about their dreams and all this other mess. And he points out that the true prophet is the one that speaks God's Word. Speaks the revelation God has given. And back then there was a lot of thus saith the Lord that wasn't thus saith the Lord. And now there's a lot of thus saith the Lord that's not thus saith the Lord. And I'm here to tell you that thus saith the Lord. We have the completed revelation of God now. But Jeremiah says, let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. That was the job of a prophet. And apostles and prophet were part of the foundation of the church. Go read Ephesians 2.20. There's nowhere in the New Testament that tells us how to identify the office of prophet. You know why? They were part of the foundation of the church. That doesn't mean there's not a remaining prophetic element in the ministry of the church. I mean, there's a prophetic element in the church this morning as the word is being preached. But my job before, and this is why you need to hold me accountable to, my job is to preach the word. It's not to preach fancy stories and make you feel good. And It's to preach this. Because this is God's word. And this is what he's called us to preach. 2 Timothy 4, you can go read that. But as the word is proclaimed faithfully, then the spirit works through that to accomplish his work. If God has called you to preach, your job is to preach His Word faithfully. I constantly get reports of people going to places where somebody stood up and read a little piece of this book and closed it up and never mentioned that text again. That's not what we're supposed to do. I know I know it's not always easy. But your job is to preach the word if you're called to preach the word. And if you won't do that, sit down. Your job is not to tickle people's ears. And look what it says. I get too hot about that, so I'm going to move on. Let us use them. If prophecy is as in proportion to our faith, literally in accord with the analogy of faith. So we could go into a long discussion. I won't. I'll just tell you where I land. It, it, this is talking about the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. The truth of the Christian faith. The revealed word of God. A prophet was to make sure that his prophecy didn't differ with the apostles. Or with the word that they had in the time that that he was prophesying. We are to accurately be mouthpieces for God. Number two, look at what it says. If service in your serving. Use your gifts in your serving. See how God wants us to serve according to the way he's gifted us. There's some trial to find that out. But he's gifted us all to serve. And if, if, my, if my gift is service, what does that mean? Well, an act of service means that we do for one another in imitation, things that we do for one another in imitation of Christ to the glory of God. Use the word ministry if you want to. It's most typified in those identified as deacons in the church. The root here is dioc, where we get the word deacon. Serving others. So listen, if my gift is not service, that means I don't have to serve others. Bad. It just means that some people are more gifted in it and better at it and they can help the rest of us do it better. Just like, you know, other ones that we'll see. Certain people are gifted in other ways for the common good. So servants help us serve and help us direct that and target that and do that better so that we're not just shotgunning. So if in your service, be serving according to your gift and helping those who do. The one who teaches in his teaching. Not all of you are gifted to teach. And some of us think we're gifted to teach when we're not. But the way that's revealed is when you get up to teach, people go, hey, I don't think that's your gift. If you're gifted to teach, then you're going to have you're going to be able to help people understand the word and it's going to benefit them in their life. And they'll be able to come back and say that was a blessing to me. So if God has gifted you as a teacher, use that gift. We need that gift. How about exhorts? And that's connected, right? Urging. Exhortation is urging believers to live out the truth of the gospel. So we don't just teach with a yawn. You can do with that what you will. No, part of that teaching, part of preaching is this exhortation. Part of one another encouraging is this exhortation to to live for Christ. To live faithfully for Jesus. The one who contributes. Look at the next one. That means giving. The one who contributes, give what he has left over. Generosity. If we don't give till it hurts, we're probably not giving right. But giving of self first and then of what God's entrusted to you. And especially the more we have, the more responsibility we have to be willing to share. But if, if... the other, the other way to do this wrong is say, oh, look, certain people have a gift of giving. That means I don't, I don't have to give. If you are not giving to God's church and you are one of his children, you need to repent. Now, this is not health and wealth, prosperity, and I'm not promising you a hundredfold return and all that. I'm just saying he's given for you and he calls you to give for him. And if you're not giving to the church, I'm not telling you an amount. But he would say, go read Malachi 3. You're robbing from God. He promises to make that 90% or whatever's left over go farther than the 100% would go if you keep it on like this. But the reason we give to God is in response to his grace and gift to us. It's not because, oh, no. Here we go. i got to give something. I remember this. I was serving in this church or helping a guy in this church in Columbia, South Carolina. And I'll never do this, but they did it. Turned out pretty funny. One Sunday, they let the children take up the offering. And one of the little boys had the offering plate. And he walked over by this man. Anthony's a giver. Don't think I'm trying to point him out. And he just stood there. And the man just looked forward and he just stood there. And finally, the man looked at the little boy and the little boy looked back at him and said, well, put something in there. He <laughs> was exhorting him to be a giver. I got to move. One who leads with zeal. If you're called and confirmed as a leader, especially an elder, but as a leader in the local church, do it with zealous servant leadership. Not, it's not top-down stuff. Real leaders don't lead with a whip. They lead with example and service and pointing to the Lord according to His Word. But have a, an informed zeal you're a leader. And then the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Not very many people like begrudging gifts. Like, oh, why would you do it? Well, because I had to. Well, you can take that on back. But it, mercy is generally an act of mercy towards others. It's visiting the sick or cooking for the sick or caring for the elderly and disabled. It's providing for the poor and doing it cheerfully. Christ. For the joy set before him endured the cross. He has set the example that we might follow him in cheerful service according to the gifts he's given us. But just be, be challenged and be thinking. You have a gift, at least one. What is it? And grumpiness is not a spiritual gift. Okay? Look what Sinclair Ferguson says. I love this quote. When we exercise the gifts which Christ has given us, we are really saying to our fellow Christians and others, see how much the Lord Jesus Christ loves you and cares for you. He has sent me to serve you in this way. He is using my hands and feet and lips and ears to show His love. It's a tragic mistake when we think that the message is, see what a superb Christian I am. See the wonderful gifts I have. Gifts are for service, not for self-advancement. So if we are a living sacrifice Instructed by his word, we're going to be humble and aimed at being a servant because Christ has so served us in his grace. I don't know about you, but this is this is a lot like the topics of evangelism and giving. It gets mighty convicting, doesn't it? Because there's still self-centeredness in me and in you that needs to be sanctified. But you know what? He wouldn't have us just flog ourselves and walk around discouraged because we're not glorified yet. First and foremost, I want you to know there's a throne of grace that you can run to and confess, God, I am sorry for not being a servant, for not trying to identify my spiritual gifts, for not serving in whatever you need to confess. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us for all unrighteousness. And then he empowers us in repentance to now go and serve. True confession will be accompanied by repentance or change. Not just continually confessing. So first and foremost, run to the throne of grace. Confess our failures. Know that he has lived for our righteousness, died for our sin, been raised for our justification, is reigning for us. And when he returns, we'll be like him. So, never forget the gospel or you're going to be so darn discouraged you won't be any good to anybody. But here's the other application I wanted to bring up. Just reminding us, we are one body with Christ as our head. We all look to his word for our marching orders. This gives us the unity. We are preserved by his self-sacrifice. Living sacrifice who have been humbled by the gospel are made cheerful, willing servants. So just how am, I, how am I sacrificing myself to preserve this unity of the body that God has placed me in? I have a responsibility there to preserve that unity. And then recognizing the fact, number two, that we're all different, but I put gloriously different. Why are we gloriously different? This is not just our natural talents and abilities. But we're gloriously different because we've been saved and gifted. Given a spiritual gift that we might serve him. And it's all of his grace. We don't deserve it. See, if we're living in grace, two things won't happen. I won't look at others' gifts and think mine are less important. I certainly won't look at others' gifts and think mine are more important. But I will be thankful that, praise God, we're all gifted so that we all might come together and serve the Lord and serve one another. If we're all looking to Christ, we're going to have the unity that we need to pour ourselves out like He did. He came not to be served, but to serve. And He calls and gifts you To do the same. Are you a servant? You were saved to serve. Let me just highlight one thing and then I'll I'll be done. One of the worst fruits of what's been called the seeker sensitive movement. Is inculcating in people who come to church a consumer mindset. That's one of the worst results of the seeker sensitive movement. It made everything about me. Right? Right? It's a consumer mentality. What does that mean? I'm going for what I can get. A consumer goes to get. So the preacher's job is not to preach too long. (laughs) We're already done with that one. Um, The preacher's job is not to entertain you. Not to make you feel good about yourself. Not to tickle your ears so that you will come back. Not to, uh, uh, not to intentionally beat you up either. But just to preach the word. But see, how do I know if I'm kind of have a consumer mentality? Well, I come to worship when it works, when, when it fits in the schedule. I hope it will be good. So I come to. if I'm a consumer, I come to church for what I get out of it. Whether or not it gives me good feelings. I come looking for feelings. Listen, that's a consumer mindset. I come looking for entertainment. The church is not the theater. The theater does it far better. If you want to go to entertainment in a play, go to the theater. You'll enjoy yourself far more, probably. The church's job is not to do those things. And if you if you're coming to now, hear me now, if you're coming to church for what you can get out of it, first and foremost, that's a consumer mindset. You say, well, no, I'm coming so that I might glorify God and and receive from his word that that's a, if you're serving God in worship and trusting him to change you through his word, you're you're coming, though, to give first. I'm coming, if I'm not a consumer but a humble servant, I'm coming to give God the glory and worship He deserves and He calls me to. I'm coming to serve and encourage my brothers and sisters around me. And what I get out of it is way down the list. But I'm telling you, when the Word is preached, sometimes you're not going to enjoy it. If you always enjoy it, something's wrong. If you're never challenged, convicted, something's wrong. So we need to repent of that consumer mentality. We'll never be a humble servant if we're consumers. Because I'll always be in it with you for what you can do for me. Now I may not say that, or I may not even think it that clearly, but if I look at how I'm doing things, I'll say, huh, maybe that really is in the background here. Am I focused on Christ and loving Him, and focused on His people and loving them? That'll get me here when I don't want to come. That'll get me here to serve even when it's uncomfortable. And I'll keep my eyes focused on Christ and trust that he's using me. See, the gospel produces servants when it's rightly understood. God expects you to serve him and his people. And he has gifted and empowered you to do so. And that's a proper response to the gospel revealed in a living sacrifice that is shaped by the word and humble. So let me ask you, what are your gifts and how are you serving? It's okay to say, I don't know. But you know how you fix it. You dive in and serve. You Go to these deacons. Go to Anthony. How can I serve? And you better tell me something because I want to serve. Right? We, there's plenty of things to do. But are you part of the solution? What are your gifts and how are you serving? If you're not serving, today is the day to repent of that and put this text into practice. Because our main point was strive to be a humble servant that embraces both the unity and diversity of the body of Christ. You are saved to serve. Are you the greatest? If you are, remember, the greatest in the kingdom of God is the best servant. And, and ultimately, that's Jesus. Jesus. But if you are great in his kingdom, it'll be because you are the most humble and compassionate servant in Christ's church. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And if we keep our eyes fixed on him, we will be humble servants for his glory. The good of our brothers and sisters. And yes, even our good in the end. This is the fundamental meaning of to live as Christ. To live in faith in Christ and like Christ in this world. To live like him in the way he was commanded. If you go away with one thought, let it be this. You were saved to serve. To live is Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, this is so counter to the flesh. Set us free from self-first consumer mindset. Help us to fix our eyes on you, Lord Jesus, and the fact that you as the ruler of all nature... One who upholds all things by the word of his power would come to live for us and die for us and be raised and ascend and reign and promise to come again for us. That that gospel should make me like minded with you. Considering others better than myself and intentionally and energetically plugging in to service in your church. So I pray for those who don't know you this morning that you would work faith and repentance in their hearts so that they would turn and trust in Christ and in Christ alone. And I pray for those of us who do know you that we would be delivered from a self-focused consumer mentality to having gospel eyes that are fixed on Jesus and seek to glorify you, Lord, and then are benefiting my brothers and sisters around me, seeking to love and encourage them. Bless us and build us up in the faith. Make us humble, joyful, Word-filled, living sacrifice servants for your glory and for our good. How we thank you for your grace.